I'm Fred Cusick at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. Scene of the 1963 U.S. Open Championship. It was run by a 20-year-old Emma from Massachusetts. A young man who went from caddy to champion. What's up and welcome into the Golfing Public Podcast. We are back for U.S. Open Week. At the Country Club at Brookline, we're going to dive into some U.S. Open history. It's been around for 127 years. It's the most Democratic major and the highest-paying major. So it's a big one. Maybe the toughest test in golf. But anyway, let's dive right into the U.S. Open. And what I didn't realize, and a lot of people don't realize, is that the beginning of the first U.S. Open was held in 1895. It was essentially an afterthought to the U.S. Amateur. Back in those days, the U.S. Amateur was way more important to the golfing enthusiasts than the actual U.S. Open. Your amateurs were often wealthy people who had the money to go practice and play golf, but the professionals maybe didn't come from a wealthy family and were just out trying to make money, obviously playing golf. So people were way more interested in the upper, higher class, the amateurs who family was paying their way in a lot of different ways. Um, So the first U.S. Open was held at Newport Country Club in Rhode Island. It was a nine-hole course at the time. This is 1895. It was a one-day event, and they played 36 holes. There was 10 professionals and one amateur. Horace Rawlings, a 21-year-old Englishman, who came over to the U.S. to be a golf pro, won. The purse was $335. The winner took home $150 in cash, which is equivalent to about $5,162 today. They got a gold medal plus the U.S. Open trophy. And so, for the next 16 years, the U.S. Open was dominated by people from England and people from Scotland. And it wasn't until the year... 1911, the first American took home the U.S. Open trophy, and that was John J. McDermott. You might remember him from the movie The Greatest Game Ever Played, um, talking about he didn't want the foreigners taking back the cup. So he won in 1911. He was 19 years old, won his first U.S. Open, and that really opened the floodgates for all the Americans to start taking home this U.S. Open trophy. Um, He won again in 1912. And then John McDermott had a great career. He ended up being the second youngest to win all four majors. First would be young Tom Morris. So that was 1911, 1912, and then 1913, where Brookline, where old Francis we met, took home the U.S. Open Cup. As we know, it's Brookline, Massachusetts, one of the oldest country clubs in the United States. That's how you become the country club. It was established in 1882 originally as a place for members to ride horses, shoot guns, and then in 1893, golf started to become popular, and that is when the golf course was created. So the country club was one of five charter clubs which founded the USGA. The USGA originally was intended to sponsor an event that would 
create an undisputed national amateur championship. Um, that was held in 1895. The first U.S. Open, like we mentioned earlier, was a day after, as somewhat of an afterthought. But anyhow, 1913, we'd talk about Francis. We met the U.S. Open. That would be the 19th U.S. Open, composed of four rounds over two days. If you've seen the movie, you know the story. There were two heavy favorite English legends, Harry Varden, who was a four-time British Open champion and a 1900 U.S. Open champion. And then you had Ted Ray, the reigning British Open champion. But if you've seen the movie and you know the story, you uh, had a 20-year-old Francis we met who had once caddied at the country club and lived across the street took uh, Harry and Ted Ray to the all the way to a playoff where he would defeat both of them as an amateur and that would forever change the game of golf to kind of give you an idea of how popular Harry Varden was and Ted Ray this is the only time in the history of the US Open that the USGA has postponed or moved a tournament just so that Harry and Ted Ray could make the event. They were on a tour of the U.S., and the U.S. Open agreed to be held in September instead of July just to accompany these two players. They were going to be a sight to see, and it happened once, and I don't think it'll ever happen again. So you've got day one of qualifying, September 16th, 1913. It was the first time in U.S. Open history that the field was big enough that you need to, needed two qualifying rounds. Um, that was probably partly because of the popularity brought to the event by Harry Varden and Ted Ray. Um, on day one, Francis we met shot a 74 in the morning and came back and shot a 78 shortly after which looked to be the lowest score of the day until Varden sunk a lengthy 30-40 to 40 foot putt on the final hole for 75-76 on the day, besting Francis by one. According to the local newspaper at the time, 500 people had been following Harry Varden until word traveled about that Francis we met could have the best round on the day. Next thing Francis knew, all those people following Varden and some, about 700 people, ended up following Francis on day one. So after day two of qualifying, Ted Ray finished with a 36-hole course record. Back-to-back -back 74s, putting him at 148 for day two of qualifying. Um, Francis's score ended up getting bumped down to about, he was at fifth place by the end of the second day of qualifying. Interesting when you're looking at the scorecard. Walter Hagen is also in the top five. He had just turned pro the year prior in 1912 and would go on to win the U.S. Open the following year, 1914 and 1919. September 18th, you have rounds one and two. Francis shot a 77 and then a 74, which left him tied for seventh, four strokes behind the leader, Varden, and two behind Ray, who had a 79 in the morning and then vowed he would shoot a 70 in the afternoon. Sure enough, he did, and he broke the course record. So September 19th, 
brings us rounds three and four. If you've seen the movie, it's portrayed pretty well. It was an incredibly rainy Friday. Well, you know, we had two qualifying rounds on Tuesday and Wednesday. The weather was fine. On Thursday, it was quite good for the first two rounds of the championship. But uh, Friday, when we had to play two rounds uh, again, the third and fourth rounds, it was very bad. It rained all day long. Francis, we met, shot the best round on the day, a 74. Barden shot a 78, and Ted Ray a 76. They were all tied for the lead. In the afternoon, Ted Ray and Varden both shot a 79. And Francis, we met, found himself on the 10th hole. He three-putted for a 5. He realized he needed to be two under on the rest of the round to tie Harry Varden and Ted Ray. On 13, he chipped in for birdie. And the roars were loud enough it caught Ted Ray and Harry Varden's attention. They ventured out to the 14th hole to watch the remainder of his round. which On the 17th, he had a 12-foot birdie putt, which he would then sink. Uh, Henry Leach, an Englishman writing for the American golfer at the time, said it best, 12 yards, putt for a three. That was a great putt for America and a great three. So with the birdie on 17, Francis needed a par on the 18th. After two shots, he was just short of the green. He chipped onto the green, leaving himself a yard putt for the tie. Francis sunk the yard putt for the tie, and the crowd goes nuts. At this point, there had been 10,000 people in attendance at the U.S. Open, which was the largest amount of people at any U.S. golf tournament to date, and this included President Taft in attendance to watch what Francis we met was up to. On September 20th, you had your 18-hole playoff. All shot 38s on the front. Yes, uh, it was anybody's match for 13 holes. At the end of 13 holes, I was leading uh, by one stroke. Varden came next. He was a stroke away from me, and Ray was two strokes away. Mm -hmm. So anything could have happened in those last five holes. Mm -hmm. However, Ted Ray would double the 15th. Ray sliced his tee shot into the rough put a second shot into a trap, took two to get out, and took a six on the hole to our fours. Mm -hmm. So that put him four shots behind me and three behind Varden. And then on the 17th, Varden tried to cut the corner, landed in a bunker, and had to pitch out sideways, which led to a five. He still retained the honor playing the 17th hole and he hit a ball to the left, dangerously close to a trap. I couldn't tell whether it was in a trap or not, mm. but I didn't want to take that line. Right. So I hit my ball where I had uh, driven it the day before, well to the right, mm -hmm. to the right-hand side of the fairway. And when we got down to our balls, his ball was in the trap, which has been known ever since as the Varden trap. Mm -hmm. And that trap was a very difficult trap to play out of. It sloped into a bank and he was left with a downhill lie from which it was impossible to play a, a, a phenomenal recovery shot to the green. Francis took the safe route and birdied with a three-shot lead and one to go. So that brings me into um, the actual movie, The Greatest Game Ever Played, that was released in 2005. I have to say it is pretty factual. At the beginning, it says this is based on a true story, but there are some things that were embellished that, of course, happen in every movie. Um, for instance, 
They make it seem that Francis was currently a caddy at Brookline, but that wasn't true. He was not an active caddy at the time. He had caddied in the past, but did live across the street. And then the, the little piece about his father trying to get him to quit golf. His father wasn't thrilled about him playing a quote-unquote gentleman's game. And in the movie, he gives him $50 to try and qualify for the U.S. AM. And if he doesn't make it, he has to quit it's not true. He nearly qualified for the U.S. Amateur in 1910, 1911, and 1912, but he did not qualify his first U.S. Amateur. He did qualify and play in the 1913 U.S. Amateur, so he never did quit golf. He continued to try and qualify up until the U.S. Open, and he made it in the U.S. Open, made it into the U.S. Am both in 1913. Um, Francis was actually a very well-known golfer in the area. He was the best on his high school team. He actually once beat William Flynn, the famed golf architect, in a high school match. Um, William was two years older at the time, and um, at 18, and Francis beat him while he was 16 years old. Kind of came full circle. William Flynn built an additional nine holes at the country club called Primrose and... Um, today that was in 1927 and since then they take four holes from primrose and add them to the major championship route and you will see those four holes this week in the 2022 u.s open so the story there in the movie um he never did quit golf he was very prominent in um massachusetts golf lore people knew about him and they were that brought all the more excitement the other um, pretty accurate portrayal was Eddie Lowry, the little caddy, the easy, squeezy, lemon-peasy, 10-year-old caddy. Francis, we met, was quoted in saying, going in that playoff, he was incredibly nervous, but without Eddie Lowry, he would not have won in the playoff. So the part of the movie is true. Um, Francis was looking for a caddy and qualifying. His friend Jack was caught skipping school and had to go back, so he was stuck with the 10-year-old Eddie Lowry. Supposedly, Eddie took three streetcars and ran up to Francis with 10 minutes before his tee time. On hole number one, Francis duck-hooked his first shot, and Eddie grabbed him by the tie and said, you need to settle down. We're not going to win the U.S. Open unless you focus on your next swing and keep your head down. A lot of the conversation between Eddie and Francis in the movie is pretty accurate, and before the playoff, people did try to convince Francis to take a different caddy that knew the course to get rid of the 10-year-old, but Francis said, I'm going to stick with Eddie, and it ended up working out. And like it says at the end of the movie, Eddie became a multi-millionaire. He uh, moved to San Francisco, owned the largest Lincoln Mercury dealer in America. He'd end up sponsoring a bunch of golfers who would work with him, like Ken Venturi and Harry Ward. Ken Venturi would go on to win the 1964 U.S. Open, and Harry Ward would win the 1955 and 1956 U.S. Amateur. The other thing Eddie is known for is setting up the match of 1956 between Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson versus Venturi and Ward. This was at Cypress Point where the pros took the match one up and that itself became known as one of the greatest matches in golf history. And then Eddie also served on the USGA Executive Committee. Without Eddie's optimism and Francis's uh, determination, what happened was truly a miracle. Ted Ray was quoted as saying, Francis's was the best golf I've ever seen in America. 
it was an honor to play with him and no dishonor to lose to him. Harry Varden, the same sentiment. We have no excuses to make today, for we were both defeated by the highest class of golf. America should be nothing but proud of our new champion. And I think the um, the movie did a great service in portraying kind of golf in that period. It was mostly for the upper rich high class. The professionals didn't come from the same class. They were out there trying to make golf or trying to make money, and they were often used as entertainment. I believe Ted Ray and Harry Varden were proud of an amateur such as Francis coming from not a high-class family, going out there and winning the U.S. Open. And the legacy of Francis Wimet's win was quite possibly, as they say, the birth of modern golf. Really grabbed America's public attention. President Taft wrote a public congratulations to Francis Wimet. And the 10 years following Francis's victory, um, the number of golfers in the country tripled. And with the number of golf golfers tripling, as did the number of golf courses, many of those being public. Um, it was huge for public golf. It was the biggest spike in the game till probably about the Tiger Woods area and then maybe more recently COVID. So that was the 1913 U.S. Open. We've got a great U.S. Open to look forward to in 2022. Always incredible to return back to the country club. The next golf major is going to be the Open Championship at St. Andrews, full of history as well. We'll check in with you then. Enjoy the U.S. Open. Enjoy the history of the event. And we'll check in with you next time.